I want to welcome um, Ali to the In My Feels uh, podcast, who's an amazing uh, documentary filmmaker who uh, recently made the utterly heartbreaking documentary Sea Spiracy. Um, and how we usually start the show is thoughts, feelings, emotions, negativity, positivity, conditionings on the inside create your outside exterior. So my question for you, Ali, how, how are you feeling right now in this moment? Mm, that's a great question and a good moment, an opportunity to reflect on actually how I am feeling. I don't, I don't think I asked myself that question enough, but um, I think over, overall it's, it's a feeling of um, excitement, um, being overwhelmed and appreciative and, you know, having a film that, that we never intended to go global, go global and everyone talk about it and be in virtually, you know, every newspaper, magazine, uh, at the same time as raising, you know, having a one-year-old baby and just this crazy pandemic world. It's just been the wildest year, you know, every, it just feels like time sped up, you know? So, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for those who haven't seen it, please see it. It's, it's, it's going to change your life. I mean, for the positive. And I know it took, it took over five years to make. Um, where did the passion behind that kind of process come into play for you? Mm. Yeah, it was about four and a half, five years. And it was just, you know, the film, the film really took on its own life as we began exploring this, this, this issue. And, you know, the film, as we were making, it was zigzagging from one topic to the next. And, you know, we weren't really sure what the final product would be like. And I think that comes across in the film. We were able to cover so much of this story and what was really driving us because making a film is an incredibly difficult job. It's a, it's a huge task. It, it's very, it's a lonely process as well when you're editing all this footage and it's just, you know, month after month, year after year of, you know, early mornings, very, very late nights, just constantly editing. But what was really, really uh, motivating us to continue with this project was, Along the way, we were understanding such huge uh, revelations that there was no way that we could just let this project fizzle out, that we needed to see it to its end um, because we had to share what we were finding with the world. And there was a sense of betrayal that things that we thought we knew were wrong. And how could this be the case? And organizations that you trust, governments that you trust and give your taxes to were doing something, you know, were lying to you or were, dest were destroying the very thing that you love. Did you hear that? I haven't, I haven't heard that in a while. Is that is that a motorbike? Yeah, that's a motorbike. That's the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was so 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 finding all this out, it just felt like a, such a big betrayal and we just had to get it out. So somehow or another we managed to, to persevere through those years and get it out. It's it's funny. I mean, obviously doing the research on on you and watching the show and and everything else. I mean, it, you kind of, uh, I'm someone who always focuses, I mean, you know, I focus on the solutions rather than the actual issue per se, but the issue has to become the truth first for you to focus on, on the solutions. And I've seen, I mean, the, I guess it's the way you shot the documentary was almost uncovering so many different things that are going wrong with our seas that, I, I mean, I know it took you five years, but I'm like, the journey can, it, it, there must be like so much more to put in, do you think there's going to be another seaspiracy or, because I mean, this unraveling of the truth per se, and then you're like, okay, there's so many different things, which we'll go in more in detail. But I'm, I, I'm, because even for me, when I start a project, it's very hard for me to finish it because you're never not evolving or there's never not some more information to come that you need to kind of put out there as truth. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess what, what, what I want to point is, is what's next for you past seaspiracy? Yeah, well, 
right now we're getting a lot of offers um, to do different documentaries. People have really approached us as, you know, they they they've, they want a story to tell, or, or or they've been they've been meaning to 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 put out a documentary on something, but the productions that they've talked to, they say, oh, we don't really want to ruffle any feathers. And I think people have recognized that we're a kind of no bullshit yeah. uh, team of people that just want to, that don't mind disrupting things. And um, so at, mo- at the moment, we're considering a lot of different offers. We've got stories that we want to tell ourselves. There's so much more to the oceans that need to be told, other documentaries that can be made off the back of this. There's, it's such a huge topic. You can really dedicate your entire life to this and still not exhaust it. Um, so at the moment we're just, you know, taking taking a little bit of moment to to really think about what what project we want to dive into because every documentary you dive into is going to be like a marriage that you're going to be committed to. It's it's like a big undertaking, and it becomes your life for years. Um, so 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 yeah, we're considering some things and, and we've we'll keep it close to our chest until the time's ready to reveal it. But at the moment, we're really pushing for our global campaign that's about to be launched on World Oceans Day, which is this eighth of June coming up. And we're going to be at the G7 summit and we've got some pretty huge plans to, um, well, put it this way, there's no way that world leaders won't be able to take notice of what we're about to do. Um, and it's all just to push this message that we need to turn 30% of our oceans into sanctuaries that leave the oceans alone by the year 2030. So we've got the immediate campaign at the moment is a big focus for us. I saw that. I actually signed the petition. I got everyone I know to sign the petition. Um, so the, the, the idea is to get 30% of the, the world's oceans protected as in no fishing, no anything. How much of the world's yeah. ocean are protected right now? Yeah, well, this is the crazy thing. So globally, less than 1%. In fact, it's 0.045% of the world's oceans are actually protected from fishing. Now, despite this, you'll have many governments around the world saying, hey, look, we've got all these marine protected areas. The UK, for example, out of the 73 protected areas we have at sea, 71 of them, that's about 97% of them, still allow bottom trawling. If you know anything about bottom trawling, it's like the bulldozers of the ocean. They go through the ocean, they rip everything, the seafloor apart, they wreck everything, they catch all these dolphins and whales, everything. 97% of the UK's marine protected areas still allow that. So it makes you wonder, what if that's what they're doing to the marine protected areas, what they're doing to the non-protected areas. And um, this is happening across, across the board. So... Basically, with um, the G7 summit coming up and you know, Joe Biden recently made uh, a pledge that he was going to conserve 30% of the United States oceans, apart from when you look into the, the papers, you find that actually 26% of their waters are already a marine protected zone. And this would literally mean a 4% increase over the course of a decade. So these promises start to not seem so powerful anymore. And you realize that there's no protection from the very thing destroying the ocean. So we need to make sure that any steps to protect our oceans must, by default, include uh, a protection against fishing in those areas. That's what it means. And we've got the scientific community behind us. It's a reasonable goal to reach 30% of our seas by the year 2030. And I mean, for, for people who don't know, the kind of bottom trawling fishing is is like literally imagining, I mean, you mentioned this on the show, it's, mm-hmm. they have huge nets. And I mean, I'm, again, I'm quoting you from, from the show is the kind of, uh, the nets that could swallow 13 jumbo jets. Oh, it's like bulldozing the, the Amazon rainforest, uh, but much, much worse. I mean, statistics, again, from, from the kind of the show, just so everyone can kind of grasp the shock factor in this. 25 million acres of land is deforested every year. 3.9 billion acres is, uh, you know, uh, uh, that um, bottom, trolling. bottom trolling does to the oceans is insane. And it, I mean, I can only imagine what they're picking up. Untold mm-hmm. things, things that they don't even need to catch. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a throw a net out there and catch what we need to and just discard. I've never, I've never even knew this about our oceans. You know, it's so vast and something you don't, I understand now the term of, you know, we've discovered more in space than we have in our oceans because clearly we don't give a shit about any of anything in the ocean. And this is the kind of, the evidence for that and i mean mm. the damage that bottom trawling does i mean again from from your show is is the size of greenland norway sweden finland denmark the uk uh, france germany spain portugal iran thailand australia combined is yeah. fucking insane yeah well this is what we uncovered because no one was paying attention to the oceans you, you've seen those satellite images of a time lapse of the Amazon rainforest over the course of a decade, and you see the deforestation happening. No one was looking at the ocean. So there are satellite images where you can literally see the mud trails following behind these trawler boats as they wreck the, the ecosystem on the, on the, on the sea floor. And um, a recent study actually came out just a few days before the film did that revealed the, because all of the world's oceans are basically the world's biggest carbon sink. It's where the carbon is, is, is locked up and stored and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean where it's locked up for thousands of years. When the trawling operations go through them, they disturb the seafloor, they uproot the sediment and the carbon can be emitted again. And a study found that trawling, just trawling emits about the same, if not more carbon dioxide than the entire a- aviation industry, all air travel uh, combined. And that's just one form of fishing uh, that's disturbing us. It's, it's a huge impact. No one was looking there and we're, we're able to expose that in the film. Which is, I mean, because, you know, I guess being taught, you're, you're always taught, you know, the Amazon rainforest actually is the oxygen life, but the actual oxygen in the rainforest, because the, 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 the life is so diverse that it actually supports the rainforest life, not mm-hmm. per se the rest of us. Yeah. And I, I didn't know. I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, I knew this. But I didn't know this, that we get 50 to 80 percent of our oxygen from from the actual oceans, from this, you know, carbon dioxide being, you know, basically trapped in the ocean to help us live. So basically, if the oceans go, we die. Hmm. Which Yeah. One thing we found actually whilst making the film uh, as a sort of side bit of research, we found that the Amazon rainforest, yes, it produces substantial amounts of oxygen, but then it, it chews it up again. Like it, it, the, the net contribution to the planet in terms of oxygen levels is virtually nothing, like, like according to this one the study that we looked at, because there's so many bugs and birds and, and animals in the, in the rainforest that they just swallow all that oxygen up. Um, and, and what we're really breathing every single day, whether you're in an apartment in LA or you're in a small town in England or wherever you are in the world, what you're breathing in is the other side of the breath of the ocean. It's the phytoplankton. So you're, you're constantly breathing in the ocean all the time. It's, it's, it's insane. I like, again, just general, these should be common knowledge things taught in schools. Because, you know, I sit there and think, and obviously you have a young child too. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about us. Our generation is whatever. It's the younger generation who are suffering for this, who are literally just trying to grow up. And mm. if we don't make a step now, and I know the whole, the kind of thing of, you know, when, when, when I watched, I mean, I'm pretty, I, I don't like to, to, to generalize or put labels on things of vegan, vegetarianism, all that type of stuff. I make a conscious decision to support life. So therefore my reduction in fish and meats has gone down 98%. I'm not going to say I, you know, slip up sometimes or sometimes I'm like feeling like because I was a vegan for for a year and I was super unhealthy because I didn't do it right. Um, It was the opposite extreme. Do you think 
consuming no fish at all is the absolute answer here. Is there a, like a middle ground? Is there some way we can kind of entice the kind of general population? Because I know, I'm sure you get this a lot. I, you know, I spoke to a, a couple of friends and brothers and they're like, yeah, I watched Seaspiracy. Next day I ate sushi. And I'm like, how does that even make sense? Wow. Yeah. Well, look, for, for, for you and me and your listeners, yeah, ditch it. You don't need it. Um, eat plants, do it well, and, and you'll be fine. And, and you know, fish fish aren't just inanimate objects in the ocean that, are, you know, one of the things that, that people, I think, walk away from with the film is, is realizing that, you know, tuna isn't a sandwich filling. It's a, it's a wild animal. And um, recognizing the, the beauty of animals in the ocean, and, and these species are endangered. You know, most, many of these these species that were that were killing and eating are threatened or endangered. It's like it's like going out into the African savanna, hunting down a rhino, chopping it up and put it in a sandwich. I mean, come on, this is not. It, it, you have to ask ourselves the question: Is this the species that we want to be? And I think a quote that I, I think I saw in your in your podcast is, you know, we are we are not a reflection of our environment. Our environment is a reflection of us. And I think there's no wonder why we're seeing such decimation in our in, in the natural world is is because it's the decisions that we make that's impacting the the you know the entire planet. Now that's not to say that there are there are people around the world that may need to depend on fish. And in fact, the the best thing that that we can do in in a, in a more privileged scenario that we find ourselves in to to safeguard those communities that they can put food on their tables is actually not to eat the fish that they would otherwise be catching. Most of the fish that um, is being caught around, for example, the, the West African coastline is, is caught by these industrial vessels that are being subsidized by our tax money, capturing all those uh, the, the fish, sending it back to the rest of the developed world. And meanwhile, those small local artisanal uh, coastal fishermen now don't have anything to catch. They're, they're, they'll maybe catch some plastic from the ocean or they have to buy back the fish from the, from the very people that are stealing it from them. You know, this is this is a global industry that's that's completely uh, you know, ravaging the oceans. And so, yeah, for, for us, yeah, the best thing we can do is just to leave it off of our plate. Yeah. I mean, th- 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 there's something in, in your um, documentary, too, which I, which I want to quote on is if the whales and dolphins die, the oceans die. And I mean, because you start the documentary of the kind of the, the, the beaching of whales, which in their stomachs is plastic and fishing nets and. I mean, I guess you, you, as, as someone who doesn't really know much about the ocean, I know about the animals and, 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 and whatnot, but the actual not realizing the ecosystem within the ocean in terms of one species die, then another one dies, and then, and then it kind of trickles all the way down to the kind of bottom feeders, then they die, and then essentially the humans die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everything, everything in the ocean is... is, is it's the ecosystem that we need to start thinking about as opposed to individual aspects of an ecosystem. So, so in the beginning of the film, we do show that, that whales and dolphins are vital to the ecosystem. They, they are like the gardeners of the ocean. They, they dive down deep into the sea to feed. And you, sometimes those large whales go down into an area of the sea, which is the abyss, the dark area, there's no sunlight. And then um, they, they, they hunt those, they hunt their food. And when they come back up to the surface, cause they need to, to breathe where the light is, that's where the marine plants are. And they bring those vital nutrients back up to where they don't, that there isn't any at the top. And so it's vital that they keep doing this process of going up and down and bringing those nutrients up to keep fertilizing those marine plants. And those marine plants are the microscopic phytoplankton, which is, uh, creating all of this oxygen. 
However, it's actually also the fish as well. The, the, there's, there's huge amounts of fish and, and krill that move up and down the oceans every day. And this mixing of the oceans is, as we show in the film, more powerful than all the world's winds, waves, tides, and currents combined. And this mixing of the ocean is vital to the movement of nutrients, the, 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 the changes in temperature, and um, who knows what, what's happening to our seas by removing all this wildlife. We, we have no idea what we're doing when we go down there and stick a net down and drag everything up. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And I know there's like a, um, a garbage, a huge 1.6 uh, square kilometers garbage patch that's kind of floating in the ocean. I mean, I, I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that, that those are things. I, I obviously know there's plastic in the oceans because, you know, when I go on vacation, you see them washed up somewhere and you read the labels. It's like, this isn't from you know, where, where we are from, where we are now. Um, if no kind of, cause I know this is, it says it on your documentary too. If no plastic ever entered into the ocean again, is the ocean still in severe uh, danger of kind of ex- in extinction? I can't mm-hmm. even say the word extinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is, this is fundamental because I think we spend a lot of time on fossil fuels, climate, plastics, and those types of things. But People don't realize that even if all of that stopped today, the oceans would still uh, be in an absolute crisis just because of fishing. Without all the rest of the pressures, just fishing alone is causing the biggest impact. Name any species in the ocean that's threatened or endangered. It's threatened or endangered because of fishing. Okay, Whether that be sea turtles or certain species of dolphins or whales or certain fish or and, and even some, some corals, one of the, the biggest impact to those species is fish. And when it comes to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is this sort of swirling vortex of, of, of currents that bring about the plastic into this sort of one area, this gyre it's called, 46% of the plastic that they found was actually coming from fishing nets alone. And a vast majority of the rest of that trash was other types of fishing gear, whether those be fish traps, fish crates, fish lines, ropes, boat, like floating buoys. Those things are all part of the fishing industry's uh, sort of long shadow of impact is just the dumping of this plastic at sea. So yeah, it's got a lot to answer for that sink that one single industry. So so, uh, so how comes the the kind of the plastics campaigns aren't talking about the kind of fishing or even because I, I remember everyone knows the kind of plastic straw campaign and seeing the the sea turtle which was horrendous anyway of the 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 straw being pulled out the nose and that the, it's, it's almost like save if if you can chain save the straws you save the ocean that was kind of like the ploy but mm-hmm. but in your show you know you, it's like 0.01 percent of anything is from plastic straws so it's not even a it's like as you say it's like banning toothpicks to save the amazon rainforest that's the kind of equivalent mm-hmm. of the, of the plastic straws to the actual issues in the ocean what mm-hmm. i mean obviously you know see conspiracy, conspiracy theories and why like wh- how does it make sense for them not to make this the forefront in terms of the fishing, get rid, like seriously, stop, either stop eating fish or cut down severely on fishing, protect our oceans. That is the cure for marine life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 0.03% of all plastic entering the ocean is coming from plastic straws. And I think, um, I think this speaks to a bigger issue. I, I, I think this is part, I think this comes down to human psychology. I think we have a propensity to always avoid the biggest issue we we ignore the elephant in the room or the whale in the bathtub or whatever it is you want to talk about we always seem to focus on the tiniest thing because it it means that it it requires less of us to try and do something maybe it's 
oh, okay, I'll just hashtag something and I can feel like a hero. I can virtue signal about, about this and not have to do anything major. And I think this has come down to, I, I think it's rained down from, from all kinds of institutional institutional levels down to the NGOs where you know they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to put out a message to say, reduce and eliminate fish, even though that would be the very thing that would that would achieve their mission statement as an organization to protect the ocean. They don't do it because they might lose membership support, donations. And in some cases, they are, are directly or indirectly connected to the very fishing industry that they would be going up against if they said that. And whether that be through their staff who work for the fishing industry or grants that they might get for an institution that, that supports the fishing industry. And I think that's why on the watch of environmental groups over the last 30 years, we've seen the biggest level of ocean destruction in our lifetimes, in any any human lifetime has been over the last 30 years. And yet this has been a time that governments around the world have been supporting sustainable development goals. And when we went to the European Commissioner for the Environment and Fisheries uh, at, at, in Brussels at the EU, uh, you know, it didn't seem like he understood what sustainability even meant. Mm-hmm. And over the last, since about 1990, they've been pushing hard for sustainable fishing. And yet in the Mediterranean Ocean, it's probably one of the most overfished areas in the world. How could this be happening? How could it be that that the oceans have never been so ravaged? 90% of the large fish have gone. You're having this huge ecosystem loss from the top down. We're burning the candle at both ends. And yet when you walk into a supermarket, what do you see? Virtually every seafood product has that little blue tick or a little dolphin safe label. And you should feel good about eating it because it's all sustainable. Those two things cannot be mutually in existence at the same time. Um, One of them is not gonna be true. And uh, I think the film made the case for for what one was true and what one wasn't. Absolutely. I mean, because I know when I used to, you know, shop for fish, I would always look for that kind of logo, sustainable fish or dolphin safe tuna or those were my key, you know, that I'd need to see specifically for me to buy that product. Mm. And and on your show is these labels aren't even regulated. And in fact, they get a check when they do get the label put on their product. So these companies are making huge amounts of money. I mean, mm. how do we combat that? How do how come? I guess again, don't eat fish, don't eat tuna. But I, I, I'm trying to f- figure out the solution. I mean, that is obviously a solution. But again, mm. convincing the kind of you know, and I've read a ton of um, you know the fact checks based on your documentary, which most of them that the, the, the critics per se is bollocks. They they talk mm. utter shit. That you know they go well, the local f- fisherman can't put fish on his plate, and th- those are not the people we're talking about. Those are not, those are the ones we're trying to protect, you know, like the sustainable farming. I know um, Natalie Portman put a documentary, which was, I think it was called Animals. I can't remember what it was called, but it focused on the kind of veganism. It focused on the, the way the um, factory farming, then it focused on the kind of farmers who genuinely care about animals and were, were sustainable in terms of, you know, bred and, and well looked after, not overpopulated, you know, a certain amount of things. And I was like, wow, she showed three different aspects. How can we ca- combat? I mean, sustainability is everywhere, pretty much in mm-hmm. every product, but it's, but it's not regulated. So therefore it's not sustainable. And I think you, mm-hmm. on your show that you put it out so perfectly of this is exactly what's going on. And it's covering, it's making us mm-hmm. blind to see what's actually going on. How can mm-hmm. we help with this, raise awareness to the actual plight of sustainability? Hmm. Well, what does sustainability even mean? And that was the driving question for a large part of the documentary. And we came to the realization that sustainability just means that something can continue on and on forever, 
despite any any suffering or any ethical reasons or, or whether it's right or wrong. It just means whether something can continue on and on forever. War is sustainable. It's been going on for thousands of years. Rape, murder, abuse, you, you name it. Those things could be sustainable. You could even say that it's sustainable to kill and eat puppies. You know, but is this is this what we want to is this it should this be the guiding light? Is this the lighthouse that we are looking at to guide humanity through the next several centuries ahead? Do we really want to pin all of our hopes on the word sustainable? I don't think we should. I think it's just one measuring stick that we have to measure human interaction with the rest of the world is, is sustainability. There's also ethics. Ethics are a huge part of this. And I think it's incredibly unethical what a lot of these so-called sustainable labels are doing. The Dolphin Safe uh, Tuna label is a key example of that. When we spoke to the people that were behind that, they, they, they revealed to us, hey, we can't guarantee what that, ca that that can is Dolphin Safe Tuna. We can't guarantee it at all. We're like, well, why not? Oh, well, you know, the, you know, the observers that we have that, that try to audit and regulate and make sure that these captains and boats are doing the right thing, well, they're barely at sea. And when they are at sea, they can get bribed. And, you know, basically, we're just going off the captain's word. And if he says, oh, I didn't capture any dolphins, then he didn't capture any dolphins. And here's your blue and sticker. <laughs> when I've spoken to Sea Shepherd, it's the same thing. You know, they'll they'll board a ship out at sea, and they would they would do a little inspection, and they find that the net that they've just captured all this tuna in contain you know like ten sharks and you know a manta ray and maybe a dolphin or a turtle, and the captain will go, "Wow, this is the first time it's ever happened. I can't mm -hmm. believe it." Because you look at his his catch logs for the last several months or years, zero sharks, zero sharks, zero sharks, zero sharks. It's when People like Sea Shepherd come on board that you get a taste, a glimpse of actually what's really happening at sea. And like you said, like we all would go into supermarkets and look for those labels and pay a premium. And I think the, the sense of betrayal that I think, you know, I felt and other people felt when they watched the film is that how could these organizations be doing this? How have they gotten away with it for so long? How is this not fraud? And luckily right now, there's actually some groups that are, are doing uh, some legal uh, they're basically taking them to court. There's some, there's some law cases at the moment on those those labels, and I think we it's a wake up call not to not to just believe labels because they make us feel good. And I mean, I think that's why your documentary is so unique because you bring statistics, you bring something that hasn't really been spoken about. I know we have climate change and we have all these things. The seas are warming up, but no one ever. I've never heard one person to say fishing is is the majority of the cause or at least part of it. And you think about the level, and I mean, think about, because I would think about it from my own level of, you know, you three meals a day, pretty much every meal of those is going to be a meat product or, or fish product or anything, which is the natural, you know, you need your meat, fish and veg and all that type of stuff for the health conscious. And you're doing that six or seven days a week, plus every, the majority of the globe is doing that. The consumption level is unheard of. And I mean, just some statistics again from your show is like 2.7 trillion fish globally are killed per year, mm -hmm. 5 million per minute. How the mm -hmm. fuck can this be sustained? Yeah, it can't. And, and these, are, these, are, these are wild animals. Yes, we have about 50% of the seafood is now being farm raised in those, those awful pens, um, but they still have to be fed wild fish a lot of the time. These are, these are wild species. We, we don't generally eat wild animals because it leads to extinction. This is what happened to the, the bison back in the, the wild west days of America's being founded. It drives so many species to extinction. And this is why farming made sense is that you can control the numbers. Not that I think that raising cattle is by any means a good thing, but like I think at least you can, you can 
breed the next generation in it and it doesn't threaten the overall species. Fish is like the only wild product that we eat day to day that is a wild animal. And, um, and that's why it's causing all this damage. It's insane. So look, I, I want to dive in on the kind of bycatch because mm-hmm. that, that's a huge part of this. Um, and for people to, you know, bycatch is, is, you know, fishing vessels, fishing for fish, and then they catch other, you know, marine species, dolphins, turtles, whale, whatever they catch in that net is bycatch, which the majority of them die or injured or, or everything else. And just again, some statistics, just so people can, the kind of shock factor is 10,000 dolphins in France alone die per year from bycatch, which is insane. And mm. you're talking commercial fishing. I mean, dolphins, uh, whales are estimated at 300,000 per year. And I mean, and, and those who know the kind of marine mammals and how long they're, they're, they're you know, they, they have the baby for and they're pregnant for and how long the, the, the young calf stays with, with the parents, it is a long period of time. And the fact that we're killing that much just by fishing alone shows that those animals are going to be extinct very soon. Mm. Yeah, it's the bycatch is, is absolutely shocking when you look into the numbers. They are really like the collateral damage of this whole thing. And, um, you know, you just mentioned like the breeding rates, like for, for sharks, you know, uh, apex predators tend to have slower reproductive rates because I think nature's worked itself out that way. There can't be too many predators at yeah. once. Otherwise, you know, so sharks, some sharks, I believe I could be getting this wrong, but some of them are like have a three year mm-hmm. uh, period of pregnancy. And so you wipe out one shark, you, you're, you're impacting a generation right there. And when you mentioned the 10,000 dolphins being killed off the coast of France, that's not even per year. That's during like a, like from like October to like November in just this one little town off the coast of this one town off, uh, off uh, La Rochelle, it's called, in just a small sea bass fishery, just a handful of boats. Uh, and so people used to like to say, oh, well, I only get a small local fishery. Well, that's a small local fishery killing about 10,000 dolphins. And I can name you about five off, off the top of my head, just like that. And I spoke to another person from a conservation group here in the UK, and he actually estimates that it could be closer to a million dolphins just in Europe being caught as bycatch. Um, but we just don't have those numbers. When you see those whales and dolphins that wash up on the beaches, the natural assumption is that, well, they probably ingested plastic and that's why they've died. Yes, they usually have plastic in them, but sometimes that's not the cause of their death. Being caught in bycatch is often the cause of their death. And for every one that washes up dead, you have about another nine or 10 that sunk at sea and you never saw them. So a lot of those beached whales or dolphins are actually just victims of the fishing industry. It's, it's a vast, vast impact that, that, that people have. We, we, no one knows. That's the problem. No, no one actually knows these numbers because it's not like counting sheep in a field down the road. This is happening miles at sea and no one will ever know. It's, I mean, so let's talk about sharks. I know because, um, you know, me growing up watching Jaws and you always had an innate, you know, especially being in the UK, there's, like, there's no sharks in the yeah. UK. Yeah, so you're yeah. not really around them. But I mean, even shark fins, and I know that 80 to 99% of, again, just from your show, of are, are pretty much endangered species. And I mean, again, just the kind of shock factor, in comparison, I know sharks kill around, you know, eight to 10 people a year on average. Um, but humans kill anywhere between 11 and 11,000 and 30,000 per hour, 50 million sharks per year are killed and caught in nets by fishing. And I didn't know how important sharks were to, to the kind of ecosystem of the seas, but they are vitally important just as dolphins and whales and the kind of, uh, you know, the fish stock numbers and everything else, they keep everything in check so that we can survive. It's insane to me. It's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I just like you. I grew up actually being really scared of sharks. I think my family took me to um, Orlando Studios or something in Florida when I was like one, and there was the Jaws ride, and there's like images of me scared there. And um, yeah, we have this we have this fear of sharks. Now they need to be respected, of course. They you know they are a predator, but many sharks, as people who dive with sharks every day, like someone who's in the film, Paul de Gelder, who is who actually lost his uh, his arm and his leg to a shark attack. He swims with sharks all the time. That's his job now. And you'll notice that a lot of sharks are just curious and many sharks don't mean you any, any trouble at all. And we just have a completely crazy perception of sharks. Um, yet we are the leading threat to those, those apex predators. And those sharks, sharks have been on earth before trees. They're like 450 plus million years old. And for the first time ever, they're now, as we say in the film, going extinct because of us. So, and, and, um, do you, I mean, after making the show and during the show, you say, you know, statistic by 2048, the oceans will be virtually empty. Is this, mm. you th I mean, that, I mean, that's insane. That's pretty much like the end of the world. Yeah. Well, this is, this is a number that we've, we've been um, brought up on by, by some of the criticism um, and you follow a lot of it back and it comes down to a lot of people who are within the fishing industry and they will try to create some kind of dispute, kind of like how the tobacco industry back in the fifties created mm -hmm. a, a slogan that doubt is our product. And if you can just give people enough doubt, then they're going to continue with their ways. And the similar thing happened here. It became the scapegoat of the film to fixate on that number. And um, you know, it's basically a projection and a prediction that if fishing pressures continue and you extrapolate the curve of decline down, you reach about the year 2048 when, when fisheries are basically collapsed to the point of being you know, non-existent. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a single fish in the sea. It's just going to be virtually empty. And um, a more recent number, because that original study was from 2006, a more recent number from the United Nations Special Envoy in the Oceans from about 2018 said basically the same thing. By about 2050, 90% of the typical fish populations will be gone, not from climate change, not from plastic, but from fishing. And, uh, you know, this, this, this actually uh, hit home for me as well, because, you know, I'm 27 now. I've got a one-year-old. I realized that when my son is my age, when he's 27, it will be exactly 2048. And so, you know, it, it, I think our actions now are going to dictate whether we do have an empty ocean or whether we turn back the clocks and we have a thriving ocean again. And that's why we're putting so much energy into our campaigning and our petitioning and educating people on our social media beyond the boundaries of the film. And bearing in mind, like all we're talking about right now is the seas. We're not talking mm. about the land or the, or the forest, mm. the deforestations or because I watched Cowspiracy too. And that shit was just mm. blew my mind as well. So we are, and, and again, I'm someone who's, who believes in, you know, uh, I, my energy inside controls my whole outside exterior to a point of I do experiments and, you know, I put a thought out of someone and they message me randomly. And I'm like, well, it's not a coincidence. That's something that's happening. And the general census is the fear behind global warming, which means it's not a matter of if it's coming, it's a matter of when, because I believe in the power of manifestation and everything else. So that's why shows like this, I want to bring awareness to it, but the solutions to it. Um, and, but I mean, your documentary put me in, I mean, I've been in a weird, usually I'm pretty great at meditating and everything else. All the things that are going on in, you know, Israel and Gaza and everything else. And then watching the documentary, I feel like I've hit a, a point now where I need to do something, mm -hmm. uh, especially, I mean, the seas and everything else. And then this, this, this kind of, you know, this old wives tale, I would say of do fish feel pain. And it's that whole three second memory that, you know, I grew up on of, I had a goldfish. It's like, oh, they only have a three second memory, but I'm like, but they know who the fuck I am. 
Genuinely, when I come home, it's happy to see me put food down. It's, it's happy to, to see food. It follows my finger. I'm like, well, how does it not remember those? Mm. How can it remember all of that ecosystem within three seconds? And I think that's, that's what we... That's It's not true. Yeah. And where did that come from? I'm like, yeah. I'm so shocked by it. Who knows? I, I, don't, I really don't know where that came from, but it's just not true. There's, there's, there's a, a lot that we learned about fish that didn't make it into the film. But, you know, there, there's, there's fish that... You know, like uh, like rock pools. I don't know if you have them out in LA, but like you know, around the UK coastline, you get that sort of rock pool area, right? What happens is there's this type of fish that they they studied and they found that when the the tide is high, the the fish will swim around the entire like sort of rock pool area and make a mental map of every single rock pool, so that when the tide is down and you only have those small pools of water the fish is able to leap from one pool to the next and know that it's not going to land on a sharp rock. It will land on another pool and it's able to jump because it's made this mental map. And this is after hours of tides going in, tides coming out. And that's just one example. Um, And and we have to remember that fish are kind of like our ancestors. We, the reason why we can, I think, see color and and we have such, I I believe that color vision was developed first in, in fish species. And, um, you know, we, we have a lot of the innate nervous systems that develop from fish. So fish actually feel pain in a very similar way to weed that we do. It's, it's a heat chemical and, and, and all those types of things. Fish can feel pain. And, and that's, that's, that comes down to a realization that, that you really, that when you look at that piece of salmon on your plate or that piece of sushi or that, that cotton chips, it's a dead body. It's a, it's a piece of dead animal right there. And it, it once could feel pain and it didn't want to die. Yeah. And I mean, because of the amount of, you know, fishing nets and, and plastic and everything in our oceans and the mercury and everything else, you're also getting all of those products oh, yeah. in that fish too, which is insane. So not only are we killing and eating the fish, we're also poisoning the fish mm-hmm. while they're in their natural habitat. It's honestly yeah. insane. I know, like, so places like SeaWorld and all these type of places, obviously now we know because of um, certain documentaries, but still, you kind of, you don't know where they get their animals from. And some of them are bred in captivity and everything else. These are highly intelligent animals. And, and I think we're ignorant to the fact of, of these animals being there for our entertainment. Oh, it's fine. You know, at least they're not being eaten by a shark would be a, be a, a way of looking at it. But I'm like, it's insane that, again, you mentioned, is it Taiji? Where, you know, at one of, uh, out of 10, you know, nine are killed based on they think they that the, the, the um, dolphins are eating the fish. That's what's reducing the fishing numbers, not the fact that they're overfishing, which is reducing the numbers. Yeah. And one out of the 10 would be taken and then sold to a, you know, a Mexico or a sea world or anywhere where you can swim with dolphins. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's one of the most shocking things that, that when we were there, we realized was, you know, because there was a great movie, it was the Cove, it won an Oscar, um, and it, it really shone a light on what was happening in the cove where these dolphins are herded in from, from the ocean and they're captured and killed. And, you know, they, they, they select the best ones for captivity. But as we were there, we were kind of like, well, hold on a minute. Dead dolphins, they don't perform tricks. And if you, if you want them for the, for the marine park industry, then why kill them? Surely you'd capture them all. Um, but we found that the reason why they were slaughtering, like for every one they were taking to, to a sea world or whatever, there was like 12 more or something that were killed. It just didn't make sense. And then we realized that it was it was the, the local fishing community and the fishing community with the dolphin hunters are basically the same. It's just the same fishermen usually or, or, or the same community of people. They were killing them as a form of pest control because they believed that the dolphins were eating too many fish. 
which is, which is absolutely shocking to think of a dolphin as a pest. Same thing actually happens up in Scotland and, uh, and actually a lot of areas where there's a lot of uh, salmon farming. They actually shoot seals because they say that, oh, the seals are going to break into our nets and kill the, the salmon. So this is this, this kind of pest control thing is it's happening in, in Taiji, Japan, but it's also happening around the world. And, and, and back to the kind of sustainability thing with the salmon farming, you know, I used to buy, it's like Scottish salmon. I was like, oh, yes. And it's, <laughs> and it's, and it's you know, farm raised or whatever. And you're like, this is great. And then you, mm. you watch the documentary, you're like, holy shit, farm raised fish is absolutely disgusting. I mean, forget about the, you know, the oceans and the plastics and everything else, which most of these farm fish are in. They're also trapped and confined and, you know, shitting all over each other and getting eaten alive by, you know, untold type of diseases. What the hell is going on? I'm mm. like, ha, ha, and I saw the population, the, 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 the pollution is equivalent to the whole of Scotland population in a year. And I'm like, what, how mm. is this happening? Yeah. Yeah, and if you if you stick a GoPro under the water, and it's actually happening not just in Scotland, it's it's Norway, it's Canada, it's it's Chile, it's it's Tasmania. You stick a GoPro under water, and you'll find that all that shit from all those factory farmed fish that are in confinement, they're all a disease. Some of them are dying from heart disease and chlamydia and all these strange diseases that's killing them, pests, you know, lice. You find that all that shit is building up, and then algae grows over, and the whole sea floor gets covered in this sludge. And I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, salmon farming companies position their salmon farms, which are, by the way, a complete eyesore in the landscape of these pristine areas. I believe it's for marketing so that when they take their drone shots for their campaign videos, they show the beautiful rolling hills of Scotland or the mountains or the beautiful fjords, and it makes it look like a pristine product because uh, they're associating their brand with that landscape when actually what they're doing is they are the leading threats to those landscapes and they're ruining it for everyone else. It's, I mean, there's, a, there's a, just a couple more points. I mean, the end of the documentary was absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, the whole documentary per se was, was in, in heartbreaking in itself. But I think it really hit home of, you know, the Faroe Islands mm. and what they call the grind of, of whether, you know, every year they do this. It's almost like a, I don't know, it's almost like a celebration of, people i mean it was a ton of men uh, and mm. it was just chasing these poor whales into a cove to literally slaughter them and there was like a baby whale which you show and you know you t it, it heartbreaking and they consider that sustainable is it sustainable for the population of the whales what they're trying to counteract or is it sustainable for the fish i'm mm. I, I, I was trying to grasp why they would do that. And then, you know, you obviously interview one on the show, which, which, which is amazing that you did. And he kind of broke it down so specifically of, you know, chicken, fish or whatever, anything you eat is the same. It's one life. That is, I don't know. It just felt so different to me seeing that, that young baby next to his mom with his kind of, you know, top of his head cut. And it's heartbreaking. How is it that we, we as humans have, are, condoning this type of behavior within ourselves and clearly they're not a poor people they're not people who, who don't have other sources of food i saw a beautiful land that they could grow untold vegetables and everything else i just couldn't grasp the fact of why they would do this yeah it's it's a blood sport um for i think a lot of people believe it's a blood sport when i when i was there it felt like a blood sport it was it was a lot of sort of male ego uh aggression and 
you know, it seemed like they were just enjoying it. Those people in the water, cut, you know, had a knife in one hand, a cigarette and a beer in another hand. And, um, you know, the, I believe the Faroe Islands have one of the highest standards of living in the whole of Europe. Uh, they're, they're part of Denmark. And, you know, they, they all drive around in their cars. It's not like they have to do this for survival. Crazy story. The local supermarket just down the road from, you know, one of those beaches where they kill those whales. They sell chocolate, soy milk and vegan chicken nuggets. Seriously, oh they don't God. need to be, <laughs> you know, they've got all of that there. And it was amazing to speak to that that whaler because the Faroe Islands have become vilified by the entire planet who who every time they kill a pot of whales or the whole media, they, everyone points their fingers at them, boycott Faroe Islands. And I asked him, you know, do you feel like you're a bad person for killing these whales? And he didn't. Now, I, 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 I'm not making a character judgment. I, I still think it's not cool to be doing that. But he made a comparison to say, hey, look, everyone's pointing their fingers at us, yet around the world, you guys are killing like 70 billion cows, land animals every year, 2.7 trillion fish. We kill, you know, 150 whales. And yes, it, you know, it's bloody and everything, but it all just has one life. And I think um, that, that spoke to a lot of people in the audience who watched the film and they've written to us and said that that was the moment that actually they got it. They actually got the sort of speciesism of all of it. And it's what actually made them connect with the ethical side of things actually hearing it from a whaler and people have accused this film of being like a vegan film we don't mention veganism once no and absolutely the people not. that are actually advocating for that um was a one a whaler who said that in that argument that he understands the moral consistency of just eating plants we had a, a thai slave in the film who said that he'd like people to stop supporting this the seafood that's coming from forced labor um and, you know, someone like Sylvia Earle, who's an absolute legend of marine science. And, you know, basically it's it, all across the board, the science is to the very people that are involved in those industries are actually saying, look, we need to change our ways. We need to, we need to shift away from this now. If we, you know, this may have served us at one point, but it's dragging us down now. We need to, we need to move on uh, and evolve and progress. So uh, again, like kind of the solution aspect of of all of this, and I'm you know I'm I'm not religious at all, but I was on a run today and I was listening to Marianne Williams, which is a, a it's an audiobook of bringing us back to love. So it's like leading with love, and I feel like those, especially watching the Faroe Islands, ego driven, and it's kind of like taking their own existence out on these innocent creatures to make them feel better about themselves, even though they can't distinguish between a chicken and a whale. Which is, mm. which is completely irrelevant because it's still the ego factor of they're both still life. Uh, but being spiritual, she came up with this thing and she said, you know, everyone focuses on the cru- crucifixion and not the resurrection. And the, resu- the crucifixion is such a small part of it. The resurrection is the main part of it. You know, uh, we can all feel shackled and chained within our own minds, within our own spirituality. Where can we, we w- which solutions can we focus our energies towards in a positive space? Because, you know, I find it very hard to donate to charities because like you said, the environmental groups and, and everything else, when you actually study them, especially during the, 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 the kind of fish area and the seas, they're funded by the fisheries to keep away from the kind of fishing aspect and to not eat fish and to, to stay more on the plastic aspect, which is the, the scapegoat to our oceans. Obviously, it's still causing insane amount of damage, but it's almost a drop in the ocean to what we're actually doing by eating fish. Is there uh, is there any charities you came across that we can support any kind of solution driven programs? And obviously your, your documentary is a solution to this by providing information. How can one further go past that into something else, the action part? Mm-hmm. 
Well, this is the thing. And in the film, we we do highlight one group in particular, Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. And I love them, a, by the way. I've been to all of their, their, their fundraisers in LA and everything. The, yeah. the guys, and the, the captain is amazing, genius. Really, really amazing group. So they're, they're one of the, probably, probably the only group that actually go out to sea to protect the animals that are out there, to, to enforce uh, and stop illegal fishing, to drag up those nets. You know, so they're a great group, Sea Shepherd. Um, you know, there's like other groups out there that are smaller, that are, that are actually doing on the ground grassroots stuff. There's a, there's a group, there's a guy out in uh, Nicaragua and his group's called Vital Actions. You can find him on Instagram. He's doing incredible stuff, like literally him and just a few people that like he's managed to employ who were uh, turtle poachers. He's actually hired them to now protect turtles. Mm. And every year they're saving like 80,000 to 100,000 sea turtles. It's just insane and very, very low operational costs. They don't have an office. So there's the, the money goes straight into protecting them. Like I believe he said that like $1 in means one sea turtle out. It's that simple. So vital actions are great. Um, but sometimes, you know, donating isn't always the bet, the, the only op- the thing you can do. And I think if anyone who can, you know, shift towards that plant-based diet, whether that be overnight or a couple of days a week or a shift in that direction is something that's absolutely huge. And I don't think it's immediately clear sometimes when you're a supermarket and instead of buying, you know, that product, you shift your arm a little bit to the left and you get the next product that's plant-based. It doesn't seem like a big, big decision that you're making, but it's an absolutely huge decision when you look at the knock-on effects of it. So shifting towards a plant-based diet when, when, whenever possible is something that I just want to really hit home this the most single most powerful thing you can all do every single day to protect the seas um and beyond that you know we'd absolutely love if people were to carry on signing our petition on change.org forward slash seaspiracy and uh we've got a big campaign coming up soon and just you know keeping in the loop and just just seeing you know educating yourself being aware of this stuff and um you know sharing it with friends sharing them film with friends keeping the conversation going absolutely man i i again like i i don't shop for meat or fish or any of that type of stuff i'm like i cook in my house now i have these vegan cookbooks and i'm like it's like a meditation process for me and i love watching my daughter now who's 18 months and she eats certain things and she looks at me and she it's almost like yeah this is good and i'm like <laughs> okay well, you'll have it next week too um but again just kind of the whole you know fishing to plastic kind of thing which is the, the, the plastic is the scapegoat for what is actually going on so we're focused on the plastic of it when it when we should be focused on the fishing of it and when you mentioned the turtles again in, in your show the statistics are insane you know 1,000 sea turtles die from plastic per year but in the U.S. alone 250,000 sea turtles are captured injured or killed every year by fishing like this mm. is the thing that that has brought your documentary has brought to, to the kind of mainstream is yes plastic is an issue but it's such a it's a smaller part of a major issue that no one's paying attention to and I want to commend you and, and, and your wife for making such an incredible, you know, informational uh, documentary, um, which is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing to the fact that we as humans, as a species, the way we feel about ourselves are subconsciously taking it out on the lesser forms or, or the kind of the animal kingdom world subconsciously by mm-hmm. this whole egoness of, of humanity, which we need to break now, break the chain of. And I think it's up to us and everyone who's listening to make that change. I agree. I think this, this uh, it's not always an easy conversation to have um, with the general public, but I, I do believe that on some level there needs to, there needs to be a strong 
whether you call it spiritual or psychological or some kind of inner development, I, I don't think we're in a position to be able to change, change the world per se. And I don't really like that phrase, change the world, save the world, because it starts, it always starts with you. It always starts with you. And it's, it's about looking inwards and, and, and working things out for yourself, asking questions, always being curious and, and, and following that route onwards. Um, so yeah, I think I think what you said. Uh, what did you say? Leading with love was that your work? Yeah, that your absolutely. Yeah, I mean, leading with with forgiveness. Forgiveness is yeah. is the lead to love. I mean, forgiving yourself for everything. You know, it just in general. I mean, when I was vegan, I used to feel so guilty that I ate meat that I was actually making myself physically ill because oh, yeah, I was yeah. I was contemplating what is healthy, what isn't healthy, what life I'm taking, what life I'm not taking. Now I eat food to enjoy it. And to be honest, I actually enjoy the vegan aspect of the food because you, you're the seasonings and everything else that you're actually mm. doing to it is actually way tastier than just throwing some meat in the oven with a couple of spices mm. and then eating it. Yeah. I think, I think when people first become vegan, there's a tendency to become like, you know, really dogmatic and yeah. aggressive. And, Absolutely. and, you know, cause you feel like you've just had like the red pill in the matrix and you just want to tell everyone, you know, and it's, it's actually really unhealthy and you, it's almost like a, it's like a, not, not a honeymoon phase, but it's like an opposite of a honeymoon phase or like a, when you're just coming off an addiction, there's like a rough patch. And I think when you get through that and just, yeah, not coming at it, cause you can become, a, people can become obsessive and they can get themselves into like, you know, disorders. It's just, it's just, like you said, coming from a place of love and forgiveness, I think it's a really healthy mindset to be in and also a place of curiosity of wanting to learn. I think those, that trio is a, is a good combination and um, more, more people need to do that. Absolutely. Ali, you're a fucking legend. Um, <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for, for what you've done to the kind of awareness of what we are doing and how we need to make a change. Um, please continue doing what you're doing. I want to see more, 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 more. The documentary you shoot are heartfelt as the way they should be. They, they, it touched me, my whole family, my, you know, everyone I've spoken to as millions around the world and, and everything else. So I, I can't thank you enough. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much too. You're a legend, absolutely. Ali it's man. A thank you so much, man. Seriously, I appreciate it. I know I know what it's like having a, you know, a young baby <laughs> and now you're, you know, all this type of stuff. It's fucking mad. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mad. We'll just keep, you know, go, go, go. Let's let's do it. Let's actually do something for for once that's actually gonna create some tangible change. I think we we've all become a little bit cynical and tired of, of actually doing something because we're, we're just inundated all the time with you know do this donate here but 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 we can actually do something now we actually yeah. do have the yeah. means we have this globally complicated problem but the solutions are simple and you know we're, we're outlining it what, what exactly we need to do without any of the bullshit so yeah. thank you for for the platform and um you know if uh, if your audience want to want to you know learn more then then keep watching the film sharing it on and, and just being part of this conversation and, and being part of this movement it's amazing <laughs>